Welcome to the Reunion Belleville podcast, a place where everyday people apprentice to Jesus. We're glad you pulled up a seat and we hope that today's lead-in encourages you to take your next step. All right, good morning. I am so excited to be back. I had a wonderful trip. I'm going to share a little bit about that today. I don't want to bore you with a bunch of slides and information, but I do want to share about some stuff that really impacted me, especially early on. Before we get to that, I just want to remind us that a couple of weeks ago, we started this little series called No One Wakes Up Different. You see, we started to discuss our vision, our hopes, and our dreams for 2023, and, well, no one just wakes up having accomplished them. It doesn't change overnight. And so in week one, we discussed how important it is to know that holy consistency is more important than legalistic perfection. Holy consistency is more important than legalistic perfection. In week two, we wanted to pause and to be honest that change requires change. I know it's a simple truth, but a really important one that if we honestly want to take the next step towards any vision, let alone our apprentice to Jesus, change is going to happen. Have we counted the cost of what it's going to mean to dedicate ourselves to Christ or to chase any dream for that matter? And when I was away, just for a couple of weeks, Jeanette and Bob had, they had complete freedom to lead in any way that they sensed the Spirit. And I know from it, your comments and your responses that, wow, they did just that. Jeanette talked about how Jesus and therefore we can respond to the noise of life. Bob talked about the significance of worship and how faith conquers fear. These are two, again, very important applications to our lives as apprentices. And I pray that 2023 is a year where we are anchored in the spirit and in worship because life will be noisy and life will sadly be difficult. But I pray that we'll be calm as we experience faith over fear. And today I think builds into the series because if there's one thing about New Year's or a new season is that it often comes with a list, right? As we think about our vision, as we think about our dreams, as we even think about our apprenticeship to Jesus, it often comes with a bunch of tasks. Depending on your personality or Enneagram type, the task can become the master. And if there's one thing I need you to know this morning, is that sure, change doesn't happen overnight, so it's okay to go back to bed. That's right, no one wakes up different, so sometimes it's important to just go back to bed. You see, I arrived in Tel Aviv at 9 o'clock local time, which is about 2 a.m. here. Our 10-hour overnight flight was full of turbulence, so I didn't sleep. But we quickly made our way onto the bus and into the old city of Jaffa. And for the next five hours, we walked by traditional sites, including the house of Simon the Tanner. Traditional sites, it's a common phrase we're going to hear over the next nine days because was that actually the house that Peter went into a trance and uh, heard God tell him that he could eat any food and eventually welcome Gentiles? Maybe, but maybe not. But for hundreds of years, that place has served as the place. Our Jewish guide reminds us, uh, reminded us sorry, that that location is less important than the story. Did the house exist? Yes, but was it actually the house? Maybe. Either way, the story is significant because it includes all of us here today, and it still challenges us, just like it did Peter all those years ago. But anyways, it's 3 o'clock, and we arrive at the hotel, and we're exhausted, but I'm restless. I didn't come with a lot of must-see locations, but I did come with one must experience. Fridays in Israel. You see, by this time, stores are closing early to us foreigners, but right on time for the locals. 
The lights are being turned off, locks are being fastened, gates are closed. Laughter, music, and the citizens of this major city, and even the entire nation, spill joyfully into the streets. Why? Shabbat Shalom. The Sabbath has arrived. So I head one block south to the Tel Aviv boardwalk that lines the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. You'll see the picture there on the screen. And wow, Shabbat is already in full swing. What is Shabbat? Shabbat, or the Sabbath, is derived from the Hebrew word Shevet, meaning to dwell. And also it relates to Shiva, meaning the number seven. In its most basic translation, it means to stop on the seventh day. Stop, not rest in Shalom, but to stop, as in to make an intentional choice to resist, to cease, to cease, to end or to bring to end those things that distract us, busy us, or undo us. This includes how it undoes others and our nature, including our animals and even the systems. So Shabbat is to stop on the seventh in order to dwell in Shalom, Shabbat Shalom. Now Shalom, as many of you are aware, is especially here in the West, it, it often means the absence of conflict or war. It means peace, but in Hebrew it means so much more. The root word of Shalom is Shalom, a word that is first used in Exodus 21 and 22. In these two chapters, it's used actually 14 times. And remember, as we do Bible studies and as we read together, if something is repeated, it's incredibly important. You see, Moses is giving instructions to the people about what to do when someone causes material loss or even steals your property. So when that loss or injury occurs, the owner is considered lacking or not complete. The one responsible, therefore, has to make things right. In Exodus 21 and 22, Shalom is translated to make it good, shall surely pay, make full restoration, or to restore. The Hebrew meaning of Shalom was and is to make something whole, not just regarding practical restoration of things that were lost or stolen, sure, but to make one's whole mind or body or belongings or actions whole again. This meaning of wholeness carries over into the uh, word shalom. In Genesis 43, 27 and 28, Joseph, still unrecognized by his brothers, carries on this conversation. Then he asked them about their well-being and said, Is your father well, the old man to whom you spoke? Is he still alive? And they answered him, Your servant, our father, is in good health. He is still alive. In Hebrew, the word translated as well-being, well and in good health, is all the, one, all the same word, shalom. And so in Israel today, when you greet someone or say goodbye, you say, Shalom. You are literally saying, may you be full of well-being, or may health and prosperity be upon you. Shalom. In a way, it's a blessing for coming and going. Hello is seldom used. Goodbye seldom said. Another common phrase we heard was, Mashaloha, which means, how are you? Yet notice the word Shalom, Mashaloha. It's in there, quite literally asking, what is your completeness, or how is your peace? And so when you combine these two words and their meanings, the images of Shabbat Shalom begin to emerge. May you dwell in peace, completeness, or wholeness. Stop and find peace. Stop and be whole. Dwell in your restoration. Stop and allow others, your animals, your business, your field, to be at peace. Bring an end to the undo of you and the undo of the circle of influence that you're a part of. So stop. And i got to tell you, it was quite the experience in Israel. The rush and the noise that filled the streets for six days of the week are hushed by the stillness of Shabbat. 
for two hours before sunset on Friday until two hours before sunset on Saturday, most of the city in the country stops. And so exhausted, I joined in what seemed to be a collective sigh as people laughed, smiled, greeted, and played and lived. Shabbat Shalom. The next morning, we woke up and we made our way north to Caesarea, then Mount Carmel, and then finally Megiddo. And the travel was super easy because the traffic was light. You see, during Shabbat, all public transportation stops. Personal cars find their parking spots and families find their homes. In the Orthodox communities, gates are placed just like these ones in the picture at the entrance of subdivisions or on streets. Stop. Our guide laughed and said the only people traveling today are heathens. You see, you can walk where you need to go, so you don't need to go far, but where are you going to go? Everything is closed. Almost everyone and everything stops, dwells in order to find restoration, completeness, and peace. Shabbat Shalom. The second stop, as I just mentioned, was Mount Carmel. So we moved from Caesarea, where Paul was, was imprisoned, up to Mount Carmel. And it's a significant traditional site from 1 Kings 18, where Elijah is said to have prayed down fire, defeating the prophets and their god Baal. This statue that you see on the screen there stands in celebration of the prophet in this mountaintop, literal mountaintop experience and victory. It's quite the story of faith, confidence, and even mockery. What a win, what a, what a victory. There is this, um, the statue there is to immortalize and because of the significance of this event. And now with this mountaintop experience and wind under his belt, how do you expect Elijah to react? What do you expect Elijah to do? What even do you expect Elijah to say? Is his chest puffed? Is his confidence oozing? Is he excited about what's next? Full of energy and excitement. Look at what I've done with God. Look at what God's done through me or with me. Like, yes, let's go, let's go take on the next thing. Let's go do the next thing. First Kings 19 says that he retreats into the wilderness of Beersheba in Judah. That's a rich patch of land that lies right on the border of um, of the West Bank. It's 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 beautiful, but um, it's <laughs> the West Bank is is mostly a desert or had large portions of desert. So uh, there's this 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 tension between this flourishing area and this desolate place. But um, here, after this victory, after this mountaintop experience, where he's he's in unison or at least in complete partnership with God, and something magnificent happens. It says. He retreats to the wilderness of uh, Beersheba, and it says this in 1 Kings 19, 4 and 5. Then he came to a bush. He sat under it, and he prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than any of my ancestors. Then he laid down, and he went to sleep. Let me read that again. He came to a bush. He sat under it, and he prayed that he might die had enough, Lord. Take my life. I'm no better than any of my ancestors. And then he laid under, under the bush and he fell asleep. Todd Lester, uh, one of our Be In Christ denominational leaders, he read this section of scripture over us as a group and to us as a part of a devotional. And I began to cry. I began to cry because I relate to Elijah. You see, there's so many beautiful, powerful things taking place in, in our community. I say this every time that we're together, and especially with our annual meeting coming up next week, I want you to know that I'm incredibly excited about what's taking place in our church. In fact, our denomination is excited about our church. I got to spend these past 10 days 
surrounded by other pastors and other leaders of our movement, and they all want to they all want to ask, and most people do when I when I talk to them about you, how's it going? Like why is it working? Or quote unquote working? And like what's happening? And this is fantastic. Tell me more. Tell me more. Tell me more. And it's all very good. I want you to know that as your pastor, I'm ex- extremely excited about what we are doing together in partnership with God. As we open ourselves to the Holy Spirit, there is a powerful thing happening that we get to be a part of, and I'm so thankful for it. But, that's right, there's a but for me. As your pastor, I have spent so much time these last four years doing for God that I have to confess that I've lost my rhythm of being with God. I might sound crazy coming from a pastor, but I want you to know that it's my confession to you. It's an honest, and it's an honest one, that I've spent so much time doing, doing for God and with you that I have lost in part my rhythm of being with God. I've lost my Shabbat Shalom. You see, there's a significant difference between taking time to rest and being intentional with our Sabbath. And there on the mountaintop where victory is immortalized exhaustion, not from the trip from my life caught up to me because I win. As much as I can do stuff for God, as much as I can do stuff with God, we can still be left depressed, drained, and on the verge of a mental breakdown if we lose our rhythm to be with God. In this last season, I've noticed that in my life. My family's noticed this in my life. My friends in this church and my friends in the community have noticed this in my life, that I am not myself, that I have lost my Shabbat Shalom, and I have I have lost my rhythm with God, but I have failed. I have failed to remember and to practice the Shabbat, and I am not whole. And so before I want, before I continue, and we dig a little bit into the implications or applications of, again, this is a personal reflection on my trip, but the impact it could have on us as a crew, I I want to remind you that no one wakes up different, so sometimes it's a good idea to go back to bed. (laughs) Sometimes you need to stop. It's it's healthy. It's important. just sometimes, every week, as we'll talk about here in a second, we need to stop because God is less concerned about what you're doing with God and always more concerned about your connection to God. God is less concerned about what you're doing with God and always more concerned about your connection to God. You see, in the beginning of Israel's relationship with God, Yahweh provides ten rules to their lives as the Ten Commandments. The first three talk about their relationship with God, and the last six are about their relationship with each other. The fourth is this bridge between the two. The impact of our relationship with God must pass through and over Shabbat. What we do is always less important than who we are connected to, and it it used to intrigue me that God has to tell these slaves to stop working. Don't they want to stop? Don't they want to rest? Don't they need it? This week, Finley was watching this show about rare animals, and a child asked, why can't they just be let go? And the keeper responded, animals born in captivity don't know how to be free. Animals born in captivity don't know how to be free. And friends, people born into slavery don't know how to be free. These slaves, this new culture and community, these people of God might have needed to stop, but they couldn't. They can't stop, won't stop. They needed to rest, but they didn't know how. And so for the sake of time, I won't bore you with the stats that indicate our Western culture's infatuation with accomplishment and tasks and the, the havoc, the hurry, and the harm it's causing on our individuals and our families. 
You see, we wear busy like a badge, even though it's leading to higher mortality rates. The breakdown of the person and family is increasing as our ability to work from anywhere and everywhere increases. And governments are noticing as they pass the right to disconnect bill this past June. But when we're born in captivity, we don't know how to be free. In the Western world, Ontario and Canada, we're viewed as people rushing and busy. And we take pride in that. But the gift of Sabbath, Shabbat, is an invitation and challenge to be reformed in our freedom, to be rooted in our true identity and to be deeply connected to our Creator, our Lord, and our God, our Liberator. So how do we begin? Or how do we begin again, in my case? Where do we even start? The fourth commandment says this, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. So the first step is to remember. I love the first word because we can't help, we, we can't help but forget. <laughs> in all seriousness, many of us uh, consider the idea of taking 24 hours to stop. It sounds crazy. It sounds impossible. It sounds selfish. It sounds irresponsible. And Sabbath is exactly that for our culture of captivity and accomplishment. But as God's people, as apprentices of Jesus, we are called to be reformed in our freedom where we remember to stop. So how do we remember? We remember by choosing a day. In fact, before I even say that, remember includes preparation. Preparing for the Sabbath is just as important as taking a Sabbath. And so choose a day. Mark it down and prepare. The markets in Jerusalem were packed on Fridays as people bought everything they needed for the next 24 hours. And so as a crew, we need, I need to prioritize not just the Sabbath, but also our preparation from it, for it. This is why, for example, this past week, I asked you to RSV for our pizza on Thursday, on our Friday nights. So when we host Friday night events, that's our Sabbath. It's going to be our Sabbath again. I need you, if you're going to come and participate and rest with us and be complete with us, then you RSVP so I can be prepared. Our family will remember and plan for our Friday nights. And so we'll start on Friday and we'll go till Saturday. We need to mark it, cut it out, prioritize it, make it ours, and make it, make it so. Because if we don't remember, it's not going to happen. But it says remember the Sabbath. Now Sabbath and rest are different, but it's still good to, <laughs> it's still good to rest. So stop doing those things that undo, restrict, and demand from you. We can talk more about this in our groups. Um, this week and around at our tables, but our bottom line is this, no one wakes up different, so go back to bed. That's right. Maybe Sabbath is a day where you just really rest, you include a nap time, you, you read more books, you, maybe if you're like me, you're a little, a little bit more restless, you go for more walks, or you ride your bike, or you work out, or whatever it might be, but you cut out those things that undo you. You eliminate the hurry and the harm. You eliminate those things that, um, undo you and stress you out and make you uh, want to uh, just disconnect from the world in a negative way. And so that might include uh, you don't unload the dishwasher. It might mean you stop folding laundry. For me, during the summer, it doesn't mean I stop following the lawn. There's just something therapeutic about manicuring my lawn and just taking care of it and just, oh, seeing those fresh cut lines, it's just, it's, it's really beautiful to me. So that's something I do on my Sabbath because I enjoy it. Remember the Sabbath, it means a great deal of rest, but it means doing things that bring you wholeness and eliminating the things that don't. That can sound scary. It can sound overwhelming. Here's the last thing. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. 
for me, keeping the Sabbath day holy is less an action and more an acknowledgement that God is here, the Spirit is with us. Everywhere we go, the Spirit is with us. Every step we take, the Spirit is with us because God is here, the Spirit is with us. Keeping it holy is less about my actions and more about the acknowledgement that God is already here in this moment. So yes, of course, it includes taking time to, to be more present with a God who is already present with me. It means that I can cut out intentional time to, to spend more time in silence or solitude. It means I pray, my, I pray a little bit more. I read my Bible a little bit more. Because I have the opportunity to. I have this opportunity to not just hear, but to listen to the small, still voice of God. In fact, we're going to dig into that in our table groups this week, the rest of 1 King 19, where Elijah is, is called by God to come and spend some time with him. And how does, how does Elijah hear that voice? Join your table group this week to find out. But we have to remember, we have to cut out the things that undo us. And of course we want to be more present with God. I provide a list in, um, in our table notes this week of what that could look like. I didn't create it. Our friends at uh, the Bridge Street Community Church, um, Bridge Street at West, uh, they did a, a fantastic series a few years ago, actually, on Sabbath. And so I've commandeered some of their resources there, and I made them available for you. But that moment on top of Mount Carmel was the start of the week for me, and it set the tone. For the next nine days, I spent more time alone from the group than I ever have. I became a bit of an introvert. <laughs> but I sensed the Spirit leading me to be a part, leading me a part of the group so I could hear but listen to the encouragement God wanted to share with me. Every day as we looked at these sites and as we spent time with each other as pastors, I felt incredibly encouraged by what is taking place here. Our denomination is incredibly encouraged by what's taking place here. And I want to thank you for being openly given to the Spirit, for being invested in our community. But this year, I hope it's marked by this rhythm of Shabbat Shalom, where we will stop. I'm going to stop. Because a healthy, healthy West is better than a burnt out one. And so I want to invite you to practice this with me. Mashaloha. How is your completeness? How is your peace? What is God saying to you? And how are you going to respond? Thank you for listening to today's lead-in. We pray that you were able to learn something about Jesus today, but equally important, we pray that you sense a step you might take in response. What would it look like for you to live with Jesus today in light of our discussion? You can learn more about our community at www.reunionbelleville.com and we're always here to walk with you.